This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Chris makes a podcast producer, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy this podcast and you're looking for help with any aspect of your podcast, check out weknowpodcasting.com. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're friendly people with a real passion for pods. And now, on to this awesome episode. Hey, rockers. Today's guest is Pierre Bouvier lead vocalist for the Montreal Canadian rock band Simple Plan. Pierre and I break down their smash hit, Perfect, taken from the 2002 debut album, No Pads, No Helmets, Just Balls. It was super fun to catch up with Pierre. He and his bandmates are possibly the nicest guys in all of rock and roll. I was fascinated to find out that Arnold Lanny produced their debut. I'm a big fan of a few bands that Arnold's been in, and the more I got into breaking down Perfect, the more I could hear his fingerprints all over the track. Pierre was very complimentary to what Arnold brought to the band, arrangement and production-wise, and how his involvement led to shaping their overall sound. We discuss how poignant the lyrics are in this song, and how they truly tug at people's heartstrings. It's a deep emotional level that has had a lasting impact on Simple Plan's career, as evidenced by the fact that they're still out there playing to legions of fans 20 years later. For all this and a whole lot more, don't you dare go anywhere. This is a good one. Pierre, how's it going? What's up, Chris? I am doing great. Life is good. How, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, man, and I'm uh, I'm really excited. I, I told you uh, off recording a little bit ago that a lot of our listeners have asked for Simple Plan, asked for you, and I'm, I'm really excited you were able to sit in with us today. That's great. You know, they, they ask for the best. They demand the best. They weren't available, so we got Simple Plan. <laughs> <laughs> I love starting with that. That's actually that was the uh, when we when we first got signed to Lava Records back in two thousand in two thousand or two thousand one maybe. We would go and like play these TV shows like MTV or whatever. But we'd go and like play the conference room to try to introduce us to them, you know. And our label would set it up, and that was what uh, Jason Flom, who was the president of Lava at the time, he he would always say that he would say, you know, here at MTV or here at VH1 or here whatever, you you deserve the best, you demand the best. Well, they weren't available. Here's Simple Plan. <laughs> that was like the whole thing. I like it. Well, I got to tell you, you know, and I, I've I've said this numerous times over the years to people that uh, I mean this utmost sincerity. I, I can't think of a nicer band. I, I've always oh, loved you guys. You. Just just absolute, just genuine, great people. Uh, was always proud and happy, happy for your success. And uh, in this uh, 
this business, as we call it, uh, not everybody's so nice. So I appreciate that. (laughs) Not always. Yeah. Well, likewise, you guys have always been super cool. And uh, what's funny is that I think that your band and and my band, we find ourselves at the... uh, the, I remember uh, when we did the last warp tour. I think you guys are the band that have played the most warp tours. Yeah, and we are second in line. So there you go. I know you're close. Maybe it, maybe playing a lot of warp tours makes you makes you nice people. You know, <laughs> maybe so. And I just you know I've said this to a couple uh, a couple guests that I've had on the show recently that uh, a I don't know where the time has went and b like you guys to me are still kids and still like the new band. Where the hell did the last twenty one years go? I know, right? But you know, I think it's a it's a feeling that that follows us forever. And I maybe it's part. I guess I'm understanding now that it's part of who I am as a person. But I've always felt like like the new young kid on the block and trying to prove something. But at this point, I mean, we've been in a band for over 20 years. And even if you count my band before this with Chuck, we've been in a band for almost 30 years. And uh, I yeah. still, I still yeah. feel like when I meet people, I'm always like, oh, hi, I'm nice, nice to meet you. And it's like, I'm like, well, I'm 42 years old and I've been around the block quite a few times. And it's like, now I'm supposed to be the old guy with the knowledge and the, you know, we're the elders and it's weird, you know? Well, and, and, and I'm going to segue from that into, uh, for the listeners, I mean, uh, most of our listeners obviously have heard of you or know and f- have followed the band. But for those who haven't, I have to assume some of you may not know, I'm going to give you a little, little history here. Simple Plan was formed in uh, Montreal in 1999. And as uh, Pierre was just talking about, uh, him and Chuck Como, their drummer, uh, you guys were in Reset. Yep. And you guys carved a name out for yourselves. You were uh, more of a hardcore uh, uh, punk rock band. And then uh, you guys kind of ended up uh, forming Simple Plan in in 99. Your first record was released on March 19th of 2002. Uh, No pads, no helmets, just balls on Atlantic Records, Lava, as you were saying. Uh, You guys were out on one of your first tours supporting Sugar Ray, then Blink-182 and Green Day on the Pop Disaster Tour. I remember that. Tons of Warped Tours. And then uh, on that uh, first record, you uh, did the U.S. with Good Charlotte. You made appearances on TRL when that was a thing. Conan O'Brien, Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Uh, And that album produced four singles. I'm Just a Kid, I Do Anything, Addicted, and the song we're going to talk about today, Perfect, which was released on August 26, 2003, with 160 million YouTube plays. That's insane. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. And that's, I think that if that song was released, you know, uh, or if that, if that hit would have happened, you know, five years ago, those numbers would be way bigger because, you know, we're, that didn't exist back then. You know, YouTube wasn't around. Absolutely. Um, So for those numbers, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I mean, I think that Perfect has been a song that I think connected with our fan base in such a deep way that we still see that passion with our fans because of that initial, you know, uh, encounter with the song. People listened to that song back in the day and really felt uh, a huge connection. And it's really helped us be the band that we are today. And we always play that song and it's always the the show finisher. And it's just, uh, I think it means a lot to a lot of people. And uh, it's just one of those things that just happened, you know, and it's, it's pretty cool. It definitely means a lot to a lot of a lot of people, and, and, and we're going to get into that. The Warp Tour 2003 is when this single was released. We were on the tour with you guys that year, and I just I saw it blow up in front of my face. You guys just it just was happening, and and the, uh, I've talked about it on the show before the the machine. I've witnessed the machine with a number of bands, and uh, Atlantic did a great job. I mean, you guys, you know, the, whoever the management team behind you guys then, and, and you guys were working your working your tails off. Uh, Perfect was the fourth and final single from the record. Uh, the song became a top 40 hit in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. Um, and the song was written uh, by the band along with music composer and producer Arnold Lanny. He's a Canadian record producer and a former member of Frozen Ghost and Sheriff. And I got to tell you, 
We do. We have a VIP program uh, for the podcast called Supporting Cast, and our show is called The After Party uh, for our VIP members. And we did a Guilty Pleasures recently, and I didn't even know you were going to be on the show yet, Pierre. Uh, the song When I'm With You by Sheriff. I've always loved that song. Oh, it's that so good. song it's is so good. It's so good. It's Baby, like the. the... <laughs> I get chills when I'm with you. It's so good. It's so awesome. And I didn't know that Arnold produced your record. I had no idea, which I want to get into that in a bit. I, I, I feel like he's the weirdest choice uh, on paper. But the more I think about it now and the more I listen to Perfect the past couple of days, and I've listened to it about 30 times, I've really gotten into this. And of course, I'd heard of the song before, but I really uh, got my pulse on the song. Uh, it just made sense that he were to produce this because, you know, you guys were a pop punk band, but I, I think the emphasis on the pop, man, you know, For you guys sure. have always had the, had those pop hooks. Yep. Arnold Lanning has also produced uh, Finger Eleven, Our Lady Peace, and uh, King's X, who we recently had on the show, which I thought that was pretty cool. Perfect was Simple Plan's biggest hit uh, on the Billboard Hot 100, peaking at number uh, 24. And since then, you guys have released four other full lengths, still not getting any great record with Bob Rock. Amazing production, 2004. Thank you. Uh, the self-titled Simple Plan in 2008, uh, Get Your Heart H-E-A-R-T, Get Your Heart On in 2011, and Taking One for the Team in 2016. So uh, again, man, just uh, congratulations on, on still doing it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And we're, we're about to put out some new music. We have a record that we've been sitting on for the last year and change. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that I look back and I, you know, when... When I, I I try to think about the things that I'm most grateful for in my life and in my career, and I think it's the longevity. It's having the fan base there with us all along this entire ride, and still having fans, and still having people follow us on Instagram and and you know TikTok and whatever, and even have a recent hit on TikTok with "I'm Just a Kid." The "I'm Just a Kid" challenge blew up on TikTok over the last couple of years, and uh, I think that's the one thing I'm the most uh, proud of and most grateful for is uh, having fans still here, you know, 20 plus years later. And it's astonishing. Time goes by quickly, especially as you get older. And you would know this is the same as I do. And uh, the fact that we're still here and like you guys still playing shows and still making music and still producing music. And it's uh, it's a real blessing. So we're really happy. It is, man. That's refreshing to hear you say that. And I'll tell you, I, I researched a bunch of live videos on the song as I was, uh, you know, going through it. And I had heard this and, and, you know, it's the old joke. We're big in Japan and less than Jake's done well in Japan over the years. I know you guys have, too. But it's not just Japan. It's the other Asian countries like Indonesia, man. The, what's happened for you guys over there? I mean, it's like Beatlemania when you guys hit the stage. It's, yeah. it's unreal. The screams of the crowd is just it, it, it's awesome. Yeah. I think our music has reached a lot of places that I never imagined that it would, you know, like you're saying, Southeast Asia. We And, and I, I think I attribute that a lot to the fact that when uh, when we first kind of had some success, for some reason, we, we, we really wanted to tour the world. Well, I mean, not for some reason, but we all wanted to tour the world, you know. And uh, at the time, I think a lot of bands, um, you know, bigger bands, 
they didn't rely so much on touring because records were selling and there was tons of money and they were like, oh, we don't have to go and tour those places. And we were like, hey, we're, we're going to go. So we ended up going to like the Philippines and Thailand and Indonesia and all of Australia and South America and even down to South Africa. And I think playing those shows early on really kind of established a, a cool relationship with our fan base down there. Because back then, you know, we'd be walking the streets of those cities and you'd see, okay, simple plan show tonight, Friday, whatever. And then the next show would be like three months from now, there'd be another band coming in town, but there wouldn't be that many. And now with file sharing and the whole Napster thing that happened and, you know, bands realizing that, okay, touring can be an actual moneymaker. Now you go to those places, uh, whether it's South America or all of Southeast Asia, and there's shows all the time. People are going there all the time. But the fact that we went there early on really created a nice connection with our fan base, and uh, we could still see, you know, still see it from that today. But you're right. I mean, not a lot of punk rock bands or, or, or bands that weren't, you know, pop machines or had radio behind them were going to those countries. You had to have, you know, you weren't just going to go there. You had, you had to be on the radio. You had to be on TV there to have an audience. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's, it, it sounds like you guys, uh, you guys struck it, uh, struck gold there, which is, which is great. One of the big reasons why we had such success over there, I think, our, our songs, I, I'm just a sucker for a big hook. I've always have been. And if I listen to new stuff and I don't hear a hook within the first minute and a half, I kind of tune out. I want, I, I love Tom Petty. I love the Beatles. I love stuff that's got these big hooks, you know? So we've always written those. And I think um, sometimes to our detriment, I think that our songs are so catchy, they're like, oh, I don't want to hear that ever again. But we've always written these simple, big hooks. And I think that really helped us get a fan base in places that people don't speak the language as much because they can, you know, they, they can grasp onto welcome to my life. They get that. They can, they can grasp onto, I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. They, they understand those simple hooks with the melodies. And that really helped us to kind of create a big fan base in those areas where, you know, in South America or like we said, all over, uh, European countries that don't speak English that much, you know, and that's kind of helped us out. So. Yeah, well, you, you know, you had a number of songs that, uh, and I, I didn't look at any stats. I hadn't looked at YouTube plays or Spotify plays. And Chris had asked me, what song you want to do? And I love Addicted. That was actually probably my first choice. But then the more I thought about it, and then he started researching, he goes, actually, Perfect is their biggest song. I said, yeah, it, it's it's the lyrics in this song, man. Yep. It, it, it's the bottom line. The song's great, yep. but the song really, the song is second nature. I, I feel that these lyrics over... Uh, three or four different chord progressions or different songs could have maybe hit just as hard. Totally, I, and that's not to take anything away from the music or the melodies. It's it's this it's this lyric that I've seen girls crying, guys crying in the front row on Warp Tour when you play this song. Yep. Uh, before we uh, get into the song, you know, I had I had read, and uh, you can shed some light on this, that you guys were writing with Arnold and recording for maybe a year and a half before the record was released. Is that true? You were you were just coming up with all these songs, and where was Perfect in there? Right. So I actually had to call Chuck a little bit earlier to confirm the timeline because I was like, I think I'm pretty, because <laughs> I knew we were talking about this song. I was like, I'm pretty sure I, I know what the timeline is, but I'm going to confirm with Chuck just to make sure. And I was correct. So the way that the, a quick little timeline is that, uh, so we wrote all a bunch of songs that we were trying to, we, basically we had the band before with Chuck, you know, we had the band called Reset. And uh, as you said, it was more of a kind of a skate punk, faster music. And we did that for five, six years. And then we just kind of felt like, you know, we saw, we started listening to stuff like Blink-182 and Enema of the State came out and Enema of the State came out and we thought like, this is so cool and it's a little bit poppier and we love it. So we started a new band. That other band had kind of broken off. Uh, but we we started this band, and it was like, let's write some big 
hooks. You know, let's write some, some a little more pop leaning stuff, but let's really embrace the fact that I love writing big hooks and strong melodies and let's do that. So we, we wrote a bunch of songs that, that eventually got assigned to uh, Lava Records early on, but we didn't have perfect yet. So we had the song I Do Anything. We had I'm Just a Kid. We had a bunch of other songs that never ended up making the record, um, but we got signed. And then Arnold, who we ended up using because our management company that picked us up had a relationship with them because Arnold Lanny's brother is Rob and he's one of our managers. Um, so we started working with Arnold and yes, we, so we got signed and our, our record label at the time, Lava, who, uh, was run by Jason Flom and our A&R was, uh, Andy Carp, sorry, greatest guy ever. He was like, okay guys, now go back in the studio and write some more and let's make this record. Cause we had like five or six songs that were good, but we didn't have enough for a record. So we went back and started writing. We'd go in the studio in Toronto with Arnold and then we'd go back home and like write more. And he was like, go listen to some old stuff. Go listen to Elvis Costello. Go listen to, you know, the Beach Boys. And even though we were familiar with these records, he was like, just dive into that stuff and just, you know, go for it. So we wrote, wrote, wrote. And I remember uh, writing the song Perfect. We were at Chuck's parents' house, which is where I've always rehearsed my entire childhood uh, since the age of 13. His parents' basement was just our, our rehearsal studio. That's where we just rehearsed. So we were out there, and we started writing this song, Perfect. And I remember Chuck who uh, came up with the idea of the lyric, which I give him so much credit for. Because at the time, you know, we were... At this time, we were probably about 19 years old or so. And we'd been in a band for a long time. And, you know, even though our parents were supportive of it... There's always that pressure. Your parents are like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. You're, you're in a band. Like, and they, they, they love us. You know, they, Our parents love us and they want to support us. But at some point, you, you feel for your child like you should probably go to school. You should probably do something else. You know, <laughs> this is, the, the, the chances of you having success in this business is very small. So, um, and we felt the pressure. We felt like, well, I, don't, I want to do this. I want to, you know, I want to be in a band. I want to make music. I, people, you know, we're playing small shows and you should see the reaction and we're good at this and we could do it. And they're like, well, we know, we know you're good, but can you just go to school? And this could be your, this could be just your weekend thing. And we're like, <laughs> your, no, your backup. <laughs> exactly. Your backup. So, and then ended and, and that, so the lyric came from that. It came from telling our parents, like, you know, I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not going to be what you want me to be, but hopefully you can, you can forgive that and hopefully you can see that we're, that we're doing something big, you know? Well, again, you know, the producer Arnold Lanny on, on paper, when I found out and I, and I knew who he was, as soon as I was researching, I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, the, the guy from Sheriff, which I, I, like I told you, I, I love that song. A lot of the pop punk bands, you know, they were using the Jerry Finns, the Don Gilmore's, the Neil Avron's, and he seemed really out of left field. And especially on this track, I kind of think that that uh, you know, all the stars aligned for you guys. Like he was kind of the right guy at that moment to to do this record. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And so, like, I'll, I'll I'll circle back here. So when we got our management company was the first one to pick us up. So when we first started the band, we really were looking for management companies for you know entertainment lawyers for labels. And one company that answered back all of our packages we were sending out was called Coalition Entertainment at the time. Now it's Coalition Music. And they became our manager. And so the deal that they worked out with us is like, hey, we'll manage you. In exchange, you'll make a record with Arnold Lenny. And at the time for us, as you're saying, people were using the Jerry Fins, all those kind of things. We're like, that's pretty cool. But as a Canadian, there was this band called Our Lady Peace, so you talked about earlier, that Arnold Lenny had produced all their records. And they sound great. They're amazing. And they're very different. They don't sound like pop punk. They don't sound like Good Charlotte, Sum 41, Blink-182, Green Day. They sound like there's a lot of intricacies. And we were a little bit kind of like, 
uh, not exactly the guy we want to use, but damn, these records are amazing. So let's do it. And Our Lady Peace in Canada was massive. I think they had a diamond record. They were they were really successful. So we felt comfortable with that. But he definitely brought a lot of those little intricate parts in the songs and his I think his talent is really to take a song and decorate it in a cool way so for perfect we as a band Chuck and I mostly wrote uh the the music for the for the song the lyrics the melodies all that stuff and we brought it to Arnold as we would do back in the day and uh the one thing I have to say that he he changed on the song that I think really made it much better is that we the, the song would play, you know, regular verse, and it would go into this big chorus with a big band, like, because we lost it all, with the whole band playing big distorted guitars. And he was like, guys, why don't we build up, build up, build up? And at the chorus, we just drop everything and just have some vulnerability there. And we were like, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy. It's a chorus. We should be rocking out. And uh, so we tried it in the studio, and we're like, ah. This guy knows what he's talking about, you know? Um, so that was the biggest <laughs> yeah. thing that he did on that song was really bring that to the table. Because most of the time, so I would say 99% of the time, we'd write a whole song and then we'd bring it to him and he'd be like, hmm, I like that, don't like that, go back and rewrite this. He didn't actually write it with us, but helped us kind of frame it and put it all together. For that one, that was the biggest thing he came up with was like, let's let's make this chorus small and vulnerable instead of big and, you know, full on guitars and drums. It'll be a lot more intimate. And he was totally right. Yeah. And I think it's uh, it, it makes the last chorus when everything comes in that much more impactful. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, do you recall doing a demo for the song? There is a demo somewhere. It would have been, yeah, the kind of off the floor at the time. The way that it worked with him, so he had a nice studio in Toronto. We'd go out there with whatever car we could borrow from one of our parents, and we'd drive out to uh, to Toronto, which is about a six, five and a half hour drive from Montreal. And uh, we'd sleep in the studio, and we just would practice and put these songs together. And then for demos, we'd all be in the big room and put some mics up and just press record, and that's the demo, and we'd send it to the label. There was no recording of the demo. Um, so there's got to be an off-the-floor of that song somewhere and I'm going to try to find it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of how it worked and we put it together and we'd send it to, to Andy Carp, our a and in, in, uh, in New York. And he was like, this is great. And Jason Flom, who was the president of Lava, great music guy. He was the one that kind of knew this song was going to be a hit. So he was like, cause he had younger kids at the time and he would play all the stuff to his kids. And he said, simple plan is going to be huge. And I know why, because my kids constantly want to keep hearing these songs and he says perfect is a song that my daughter <laughs> loves and i'm going to push this until the day i die this is going to be a smash i know it and that's kind of that's kind of how it went because it took a while for that song to kind of pick up and he just never gave up your kids are a good gauge for things if they yeah. want to hear it again you know there, there's something to be said about that all right so we're gonna uh we're gonna jump into the song now pierre uh the song is four minutes and 37 seconds uh it begins with a 12 second clean guitar intro man i love this sound this uh, clean guitar is panned off to the left, but with a really nice delay effect that is then panned to the right. Uh, at the 13 second mark, the band drops in, the stereo guitars come in the bass, and there's an octave guitar uh, running through this whole part that's slightly panned off to the right. Talk 
according to plan And do you think I'm wasting my time Doing things I want to do But it hurts when you disapprove all along Hey dad, look at me Think back and talk to me Did I grow up according to plan? And do you think I'm wasting my time Doing things I want to do But it hurts when you disapprove all along yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You know, the lyrics are pretty straightforward. You hear that and you think of a bunch of kids that are in a band. And like I said, our parents have been supportive of us, but they couldn't help it at the time to be very fearful of us. We were dropping out of school. So I never went to college because I focused on music. And my parents were like, you yeah. can't do this. Like you, you cannot, like this doesn't <laughs> make any sense, you know? And I was like, well. I got the same speech. <laughs> I, exactly. So I have to do this. And the same thing for Chuck. And Chuck was always more of a school guy. His grades were amazing. He was headed to law school. He dropped out of law school to be in this band. So his parents, you know, even though they, like I said, they love us and support us and they're the best parents ever, they were not stoked on that, you know. And this song is an, an, a, a direct response to like, hey, this is how I feel. And, and, and I'm sorry that I can't be perfect. I can't be what you want me to be. But yeah, it's it's really a conversation between it's it's really a speech of us talking to our parents and more specifically fathers because it it was harder to say hey mom and dad <laughs> so we just picked it. we just picked dad <laughs> hey everybody don't you dare go anywhere there's lots more Chris to makes a podcast after these messages from our sponsors. Buying Up All Your Gray, the new EP from Pack, is now streaming on Spotify, Apple Music, and anywhere else you get your tunes. Featuring members of the Juliana Theory, Zayo, and Punchline, Pack brings decades of indie, hardcore, and alternative influence to their debut release. Limited edition screen printed vinyl available now at mindovermatterrecords.com. Looking to elevate your music career? DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with a Spotify Canvas generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. 
Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. And now, back to the show. No, and, and I got to tell you something. That's why I, I love doing this podcast because to me, seeing those men and women crying in the front row, singing every lyric, I'd say a lot of them were relating this because they came from a broken home. These were latchkey kids, had a terrible relationship. Maybe they're, they're, they were abused. Uh, who, who knows? Uh, whereas this song kind of alludes to that. That's what I thought it was about. Like yep. you or Chuck came from a broken home and it's really just, you know, the, the disappointment of your parents and going, hey, this is what I want to do with my life. But look how it has affected people lyrically. But that's what you know, that's what's amazing. Funny, what's funny to me that's is awesome. that because because you do say, you know, it, insp- it, it probably inspired so many kids that come from broken homes. But I think beyond that. Even the kids that have good relationships with their parents or, or, you know, it's, it's a difficult time when you're a teenager and you're growing up, we all know how it is. Yeah. It's tough, you know? And it's like, you feel like everything that, that happens in your life is, is very dramatic and everything that your parents ask you is too much. And, and I think that this song, the reason why it became so popular is yes, it does relate to people that have terrible upbringings. Absolutely. But even the ones that have decent upbringings will always feel like, oh, I never know. Like my, I felt my parents were disappointed in what I wanted to do, and that connects with them on you know such a broad general level, you know. So I think that that it it kind of it's yeah. People that I've, that I've talked to, fans have told me like, no, my parents and I have a good relationship, but man, this song was so important to me, you know. And it's that's what's cool about it. Yeah, I, to me the the lyrics are I made them out darker uh, than they yeah. kind of are, you yeah. know. I really thought they were a lot darker. That's really interesting. Uh, this first verse uh, it breaks down to just that clean guitar from the top uh, and there's a great syncopated drum pattern uh, here uh, the Chuck's playing there's no bass in this verse uh, and I gotta say I had it written in my notes here Chuck is your secret yeah. weapon yeah, he's amazing. I mean he's yeah. just what a what a great great drummer he's also the main lyricist of the band so I do a lot of lyrics with him but he's always been the one who comes up with that first thing like whether it's like welcome to my life he was like we should write a song called welcome to my life he's like it should be about have you ever felt like this 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 that well welcome to my life and that you know i i come in there and then we fill it in together i do all the music and all the lyrics and and lyrics with him and melodies but he i have to give him credit like all those songs um if i can go through all of them jet lag uh you know all those those big that big hook he comes up with it first he's got a big old notepad of like all the all the hooks and then together we put them together. So on top of being the secret weapon of drums. <laughs> yeah, no, and I can relate because that was uh, Vinny's role in the band all the years. He's, he was with us, our drummer. You know, yep. he came up with all, with all the lyrical concepts. And I was writing the melodies and filling in words here and there. Yep. Uh, you know, I also wrote here that the guitars here, they almost have like a keyboard overtones to them, the way that they're they're, they're layered there. And uh, it just kind of takes me back to the that 80s thing with I'll, I'll, I'll reference Arnold again. I just, For sure. the more that uh, I was getting into this song and, and I found, I didn't find out that he produced this tune until like two days ago, and I was like, ah, now, now I hear, and I think I think it's great. Uh, getting into pre-chorus one, uh, the bass comes in here, and the guitar chords are ringing out a little bit more, and they're slightly more overdriven on this part. And here, uh, on the next four lines, we have harmonies, first vocal harmonies we hear in the song. And now I try Now I try hard to make it. I just want to make you proud. 
I'm never going to be good enough for you. Can't pretend that I'm all right. And the last line is just, just Pierre. And you can't change me. The vocals go up an octave there for the first time, signaling a lift into the chorus where what you were just talking about, you think it's going to come in, the big guitars, boom, that it just drops out there. Yeah. Everything drop everything drops out uh, into the chorus. So again, talk about these uh, lyrics in the pre-chorus before we get into the chorus. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a continued conversation, and as you said, I think that um, it connected with a lot of people that had you know difficult relationships with their parents. But it, it really is a conversation about us as guys in bands saying like, I try hard to make it. I want to be successful. I want to be something in in my life. I just want to make you proud, but I'm never going to be good enough for you because you want me to be a dentist or a lawyer or this or that, but I'm never going to be that, you know? And then, uh, and you can't change me. It's the, it's the coming to realization that like, or telling your parents, like, I'm going to do this and I'm sorry, but I can't not do it. You know what I mean? So that's where it comes. It's just, it's just a, it's just really a simple conversation. And that's what I love about music. You know, you can write a simple thought and if it just connects in the right way, it just works out, you know? I love that that octave vocal up there signals a lift into chorus one and you think, bang, yep. it's going to happen. And then the bottom drops out. And a minute and 12 seconds, we're into chorus one. That uh, clean guitar from the top is back with a delay with just the vocals for the first three lines. And uh, man, there's a killer delay effect on the vocals here too. There's some treatment there. just too late and we can't go back i'm sorry i can't be perfect did arnold mix the record as well he did he did and i just i love the treatment on the vocal it just surrounds especially in headphones it just surrounds uh, my, my whole head when i'm listening to it. it's really cool the chorus is uh because we lost it all nothing lasts forever i'm sorry i can't be perfect And at that point, the bass and the drums come in. The guitars are still doing the same patterns for the rest of the chorus. Almost sounds like uh, the keyboards are here again, but it's those delayed guitars. Uh, And the next couple lines, now it's just too late and we can't go back. I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. And there's harmonies on too late, go back, and I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. The end of uh, the chorus here on, on the word perfect, there's a slight guitar swell that, uh, that goes back into the reintro of the band. So this chorus here now, from your demo, did you guys have any harmonies on the demos or was just kind of just, like you said, a, a raw practice tape and, and, and were the harmonies kind of your idea or, or uh, in, in correlation with Arnold? Did he come up with a lot of the harmonies? This is, where, this is where they should be. I got to give credit to Arnold for a lot of that stuff. First of all, you know, you mentioned a lot of those guitar things. He was really, he's kind of a mad scientist. And he, especially back then, so we're talking about, you know, we're probably recording this in 2001. So, you know, even though Pro Tools has been around for a long, for a while already, all that treatment, the reverses, all those delays, all the things is pretty, at the time, it's pretty avant-garde. You know what I mean? It's kind of, it's kind of out there. And he was, it was still in its infancy. Yeah, it was. And he was all about that. He would just sit there and he, and, and Jeff, our guitar player and him. We recorded that record for literally like a year and a half. So it was a lot of experimentation, different things. And he'd have them play it over and over again and different things and different tones and and put it all together. And that was really the genius of Arnold Lanny. And like like I said, he did mix it on top of that. That was his deal. He's like, I'm making this record, but I'm mixing it. And I'm like, all right, cool. So it's got, a, it's got an interesting sound to it. It doesn't sound like everybody else, but that's what's kind of cool about it. And as you said, a lot of those guitar delays, they sound like keyboards, and that's all just guitars. I don't think we recorded any keyboards. 
keyboards at all on this whole record. This record still sounds like it could be this particular track. Uh, sounds like it still could be current today. Yeah, it could exactly. be on the radio. It the, the, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound dated in that respect. Yeah, and the harmonies. I think that he was really into harmonies. He's a you know he's a singer himself, or not a great singer. I'm sorry, but he he he's a songwriter. You know, writing all this stuff himself. Uh, but he loved harmonies, and we plastered this record with so much harmonies, it, like stacking three-part harmonies on everything. And we just we recorded them all, and he would just like put them in, take them out, put them in, take them out. But I mean, if you go back to how much vocals we recorded, there's harmonies on everything. It's crazy. Yeah, the first record we did, which you ended up doing, uh, a record. I want to say, uh, did you do "Get Your Heart On" with Howard Benson? Uh, we did. Um, no, the last one we did was uh, uh, what's it called? Taking one for the team with Howard Benson. Yeah, that was okay. So, I, you know, I, I've I had Howard on the show. Howard uh, taught me how to sing because we did our first. He, one of the first ever records recorded in Pro Tools was Less Than Jake's Hello Rockview. Uh huh. And after that record, it was like you said, we'd come in. He would have us record these harmonies, and the next day he'd come in. And he he would have this one here and that one there, yeah. and I had to re- I had to replicate that. Yeah. I really had to learn how to sing, and it was due, you know, I, I can give that credit to Howard and Pro Tools. It made me a much better singer, because I didn't want to go out there and, and, and crap the bed on stage and not yep. be able to pull it off. I wanted to be able to, to, to replicate what we had, so that's an interesting uh, thing that you brought up. Um, we get into the full band reintro, same as the top of the song, 13 seconds, and now we're into verse two. The whole band is here on top, uh, right at the top of verse yep. two. It doesn't break down here. The whole band's in. It's still those clean guitars. Bass is just, you know, kind of there doing doing some tasteful note placement. Nothing, nothing over the top. I try not to think about the pain I feel inside. Did you know you used to be my hero? All the days you spent with me now seem so far away. And it feels like you don't care and the lyric is, I try not to think about the pain I feel inside. Did you know you used to be my hero? All the days you spent with me now seem so far away. And it feels like you don't care anymore. So I, I feel like the first verse of this song is really a, an exact conversation of what we probably have with our parents. And at that point, we're like, all right, let's push it a little further. You know, like, you know, and, and I had to give like a disclaimer to my dad. I'm like, by the way, dad, I love you. I think you're a great. You're still dad. my hero. Yeah, you're still, I don't want. I don't want because because you know I, our parents when they first heard this song, my dad was crying. He's like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "I'm like, listen, I love you. We're just trying to take this art. We're trying to take this inspiration and push it further and make it, you know, make it as good as it can be." So, well, that that was the line that got me. Yeah. Did you, did you know you used to be my hero? Like, you know, I don't look at you that way anymore. Yeah. You know, you hurt. You it's hurt. It's heavy. Me. It's heavy. Yeah, well, it is, and that and that was the line that made me think that this wasn't what the song is actually about. I was yeah. like, okay, this is a broken home type song, and I, I was for I was certain about it again, not only from that specific lyric, but from just seeing the crowd reaction. Yep, for sure. Uh, I saw. I've seen it live numerous times, and then of course researching the live videos of the song. And I always go and look at the live videos. I like to see if bands do it in a different key, for if sure. they do different arrangements, and sometimes they do. And you guys usually keep this uh, kind of what it is here. I think we're. I think that's that's the one, one of the few songs we still play in the same key, I think. I didn't see one that was in a different key because I would have I yeah, yeah, mentioned no, it. I think it's the same key. <laughs> Most of our new songs, now that we've pushed ourselves so high uh, in uh, in the studio, I'm like, I there's no way I'm singing that in the same key. But back then, <laughs> I think probably because we were, we were recording all these demos off the floor, I had to sing it. So it wasn't like, yeah. you know, just get to the chorus once and you'll be okay. It's like, I got to sing this whole thing. So I used to, right, we right. used to write songs in keys that made more sense back then. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I'm right there with you. 
pre-chorus two comes in, and now I try hard to make it. I just want to make you proud. I'm never going to be good enough for you. And then the last two lines change here. I can't stand another fight. And those four preceding lines all have harmonies on them. And then it's just you again here. And nothing's all right. And we lift into chorus number two, which is pretty much the same as chorus one. But the bass guitar is moving a little bit more on the back half of this chorus with mm-hmm. more notes. So the song is building. Never, sorry, I can't be perfect. Now it's just too late And we can't go back I'm sorry I can't be perfect Again, the harmonies are on too late, go back, and I'm sorry I can't be perfect, those back three lines. On perfect here, the harmony changes, and it's great. Uh, As the band goes up to the A sharp instead of the G sharp here to set up for the bridge that starts in G sharp, so it launches off the A sharp. Uh, And the bridge, the the feel and the groove changes here. The stereo guitars, uh, bass and drums are here with some great fills uh, by Chuck. This is where uh, we we take a departure and the song kind of goes somewhere else for a minute. Can't be perfect. Then everything drops out right there. And we'll get into the next part in a second. But these lyrics in the bridge, uh, t- talk about where we're going here. Yeah, I think um, when, when I when I read those back, because, um, you know, you, you play those songs every night for 20 years. You don't even think about them, you know. But now that I'm, I'm picking it apart and analyzing it, I think that Simple Plan, as I said, and we've established before, our relationship with our parents are pretty good. You know, I mean, I would say really good. My, my parents are awesome. And, you know, they love me and they support me. And same for Chuck. You know, Sebastian comes from a family that uh, his parents were separated, and um, and Jeff had a difficult relationship with his father. But I think that Chuck, as a lyricist, and myself, I think that when we started writing these songs, even early on, we started to understand like this song. Yes, it's got to be from me. It's got to be from my life. But it can go beyond that. You know, we can we can look at people out there and be like, what we're gonna write a song for these people that have had more difficulties than we've had you know and even to this day we still write songs today that i kind of inspire myself from fans that we see that we talk to and i want to talk about things that are that people are struggling with you know and sometimes we have to dig deeper than what our own lives are you know and i can really hear it in that in that bridge it was like let's take this to the kids that really have struggled with their parents and that have maybe been abused or maybe have come from real broken homes that have had horrible situations happen to them you know and this is where i can really tell that we understood that maybe this band's message is bigger than just who we are you know it's writing songs for these people it's writing songs for and that kind of uh, became even more true with, you know, later on, Welcome to My Life, and wrote a song called This Song Saved My Life because we met so many fans that felt like, I would not be here today if I, if I didn't have your music. And we're like, holy shit, like, this band is bigger than who we are. This, is, this has become a voice mm-hmm. for other people. And I can really hear it in that bridge where it says, you know, 
Now you can tell there's a real fight going on. Nothing's going to change the things that you said. Just really, to me, that's where I, I, I can see where we understood as a band, this, our fan base and who this band represents is bigger than who we are as people. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's awesome that you say that because you, you can't get a higher compliment from somebody that you, your band saved my life. Or yeah. Your band, uh, you know, changed me or they, they lift up their shirt and show you the band tattoo for exactly. life. I mean, that's, 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 uh, that, that's awesome. Um, I love coming out of this bridge, uh, again, on the word understand on the back half stand, the delay comes off it. And then we're into a reintro again, where it's just that guitar by itself, but there's a little trickery going on here, a little fake out. It's only one and a half measures of this by itself before the whole band comes in for a half measure. It's totally out of left field. And then you're into chorus three. And uh, we're at the three minutes and 36 second mark at this point. Now you're getting the double chorus and the full band's in for the first time. Here it is. Yeah. Here it is. And I'm, I'm assuming this is what you wanted chorus one and two to be. And Arnold put the brakes on. Exactly. That's what it was supposed to be on the first chorus. And he was like, no, no. And we really thought he was crazy. We're like, what are you talking about? How can you just drop out on the first chorus? And now I feel like I've used that so many times in songwriting with uh, for our band or other people. And I see it, especially like in dance music, if you see club songs where it's like, do, 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 do. And then, boo. And then the chorus hits. And it's like, I had, you know, and, and that was one other thing that, that Arnold really taught us um, as a producer and as a, a mentor at the time. We were always full on, you know, from my reset days, it was like, and he was like, you guys only have two, you have two modes. You have zero or 10. He's like, there's a lot of in between there that you need to explore. And we're like, you're crazy, man. Just crank it up and just go. But he really uh, instilled that into us. And he even said something that to this day, we still use sometimes live. He said back in the day, he said, watch if you play really, really, really quietly and then go to something bigger, everyone will start to listen way more. And I was like, huh. And it's true. So that was where that whole thing, come back to after the bridge, come back to the, Mm -hmm. and then just give it everything at the end. And that really taught us a lot about dynamics and, uh, and how you can take the listener somewhere rather than just give it, you know, overdrive all the time so yeah and 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 there's some bands that just have made a career out of that you know the pixies and nirvana and super chunk they just have the that dynamic thing and there's something so important about what he told you and i'm glad you took that with you because it's it's such a great lesson because that's uh my early career it was everything it's got to be 100 miles an hour and it's got to be this way or it's not aggressive and all those things you think and then you have someone tell you otherwise and and at first you might go yeah this old dude's crazy which at the time that old dude arnold he was my age now he was yep. about 47 when he was producing you back then yeah which is crazy <laughs> yeah and and we had some tough times with him you know because we you know we got signed and even before we got signed we started writing these songs and uh you know we did we couldn't get a record deal you know and it was very difficult we go to his studio and he was gracious enough to give us the studio and we would sleep there there was like little bunks and a little room with no windows 
Um, and uh, we at some time, sometimes we got discouraged. We were like, you know, we we're supposed to get a deal with Sony Canada, and it fell through because a new president came in and was like, I don't like this band. I don't want to sign these guys. And we're like, oh my god, our lives are over. And we went back to the drawing board and wrote <laughs> some more songs, and um, and uh, we made it eventually. But yeah, he gave us that opportunity to to be there, and he was he was kind of a crazy guy. He's always been very eccentric. Um, and we had some fights and we had some times where he, he kicked us out of the studio at some point because he thought we were disrespectful and like we had to go and rent like a holiday in <laughs> room for the night. It was a, uh, it was a wild time, you know, but it created this cool record that really kind of, you know, created simple plan It created who we are and all those little intricacies of like all, like you said in this song and all the songs on the record have so many intricate parts, whether it's harmonies or little weird noodly guitar parts at the end that are you're like what the hell is going on there well that's that was yeah. him that was pushing us all the way that's that's very cool well here you know on the, on the other choruses we don't get any backing vocals till till, till later but uh, the lyric again is because we lost it all and nothing lasts forever i'm sorry i can't be perfect and on those three lines uh, on it all forever and i'm sorry i can't be perfect there's harmonies all through there and there's harmonies on the next three lines now it's just too late uh, and we can't go back. I'm sorry, I can't be perfect. On on that line, it's just too late. Uh, on late, the melody changes slightly there on that yeah. one word. I love things like that. Yeah, I you love that. Give them candy, yeah. Yeah. Do you do you recall if that was something? I know it's we're going back 20 years. Is that something off the cuff with you? Or is that something maybe that Arnold suggested? Hey, we got to we got to change it up here. I don't remember specifically on this song, but I know that he was really about that. He was also uh, he really loved. All, he was an 80s guy, right? So he's like, he's of like chorus, 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 chorus. I think he wanted to do like two more choruses, and we're like, no, no, dude, we got, <laughs> we got to pump the brakes here. He just wanted to keep going. But, um, but yeah, he, I, I think that what's cool when I think about that record and all the things he taught us is all those little things that you know, like the last chorus, you got to change it up, you got to do a little something. Um, and he really, I mean, yeah. I have to, I have to give him so much credit as a, for me as a songwriter and and now as a producer, like he's given me all these tools that I am forever grateful for, you know, but that was definitely a lot of his influence. And especially he was really into the guitar part. So I'm sure I have to listen to it again now, but there's got to be some guitar changes up in there and some cool stuff going on too, you know. There's a couple things we'll talk about. Well, again, this is the only double chorus in the song. And on the back half here, what I like is it changes yet again. On this, there's harmonies on everything except the last line and the very last word, perfect. There's some cool whoa, whoa, whoa backing vocals that are kind of floating back here. You can't really make out what they're saying. It's almost like they're saying words, but it's more like a whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, and the octave guitar from the top of the song comes back in for only the second time uh, in the song and the last time of the song. Uh, and there's some really, really cool uh, bass runs here to accentuate uh, more of Chuck's killer drumming, which which I which I really like. But I love that the octave guitar never because that's a hook at the top of the song when that comes in. Mm -hmm. It never it never comes back in until the end of the song. You you saved it for for that last chorus, which is great. Uh, and on the last line, perfect is sung alone. Uh, by Pierre, you 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 sing that uh, alone, and uh, the song ends on the G sharp, which I call the suspense chord. It never resolves back to D sharp, and yep. I'm a sucker for that. Of I've course. talked about that a million million times on the show. I love the the suspense chord there. So again, in in, in wrapping up the the song here, is that 
from what you remember, was that how the song ended, or was that something Arnold brought to it, or, or is that kind of how you envisioned it uh, on that on those practice demos? There was so much collaboration there. I'm sure it was something that we all agreed on. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember specifically, but I think that that's something that another thing that we learned back then is like you know suspense, all those things that you can make the listener feel that I wasn't aware of when I was in my band previously, and I'm like, and th- these are all things that that uh, you know that we all learned together during that. I think it was over two years by the time we were done from the demos to the to the record, um, but yeah, it's a it's and and all that stuff like like you were talking about how the, how the the harmony comes in and out there, but then it's not on that one and it's on this one. That was absolutely Arnold in the mixing process. He had me sing so much, and he would just kind of use it here and there. And I think that's cool because it keeps the listener interested. They don't even know why, but it sounds a little different. You know, there's something about the last chorus that's not the same as the other one. Why? I can't really put my finger on it, but you did, obviously, because you're analyzing it. But for most yeah. people, it just keeps it going, you know? Um, so, yeah, lots of great lessons from a, from a wise, crazy man. He was, he's uh, I love Arnold so much, and if he ever hears this, you know, I, I, sh- I think I should give him a call after this. Um, but uh, a really, really sweet man. And uh, I, I, he had so much patience back in those days with us. And we were young kids and we'd mess around, goof around his studio and sleep there. And he was like, you know, he'd come in in the morning and we just, we had like super soaker fights. He's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you do talk to him, tell him the dude from Less Than Jake says hello. And he lo- loves his music and, and awesome. loves what he did with, loves what he did with you guys. And uh, another, co- another conversation down the road, I want to pick your brain. Uh, damn you, you got to do a record with Bob Rock. He's yep. made some of my favorite records. Motley Crue's Feel Good, the Black Album from Metallica. And uh, that is just so cool. And you guys ended up giving a song to Motley, If I Die Tomorrow, which is yes. one of my favorite crew songs. I love that song. And uh, we'll save it for another time. But yeah. but Pierre, I want to I wanna absolutely thank you for, for sharing the story with me and for the listeners. I love this song. And uh, you had already mentioned you uh, have a record you've been sitting on. And uh, let the listeners know w- what else is going on in uh, your world or Simple Plans world. Right. So, um, yeah, we had a record that was... Uh Pretty much finished uh, when the pan- well almost finished. We finished it right when the pandemic started to happen, like February, March. We've wrapped up this album that we've done, um, and we had a tour lined up in Newfound Glory in 2020, and we were gonna you know release around there, kind of getting it all sorted out. And when that hit, it kind of threw a monkey wrench in the whole thing. So we've been finishing it up, mixing all the the, the record. It's been ready. There's another. Another side of the story as well is that we we've done our, our record deal with, with Atlantic has been finally over, so we're trying to figure out how we're going to release this. So we're going independent, and with a couple of labels that came into the conversation, and then then it came out and didn't work out. So it's been a. I, I think our fans are really tired of hearing us say like it's coming out soon, it's coming out soon, but it really is coming out soon, um, and it's awesome. I'm super stoked. Uh, I, I produced a lot of this last record. We did it. We got a couple producers involved, but a few of the songs are just basically me. Um, and, uh, with the help of our, our friend Jay Van Puderoyen, who's Brian Howes' kind of, a uh, engineer guy. So it's really cool. And the songs are great. The fans are going to love them. It's kind of a, a throwback in a lot of ways, but while still moving forward and, uh, I'm excited. It's cool. And then for the rest, you know, we've been kind of like everybody else stuck at home doing pandemic world, you know, uh, pandemic life with, I've got two kids. My daughters are now, uh, eight and nine years old. And, uh, so my life, you know, during this time has been a lot of being a dad, and uh, just try to entertain the family and and try to find some joys in life. Uh, and also, I'm working on a new project with a kid. His name is Beckett, and uh, that's coming out maybe before Simple Plan. I made a whole album with this kid that lives nearby. Incredible singer. 
uh, and I'm putting that out pretty soon. Uh, and it's I've produced everything, co-wrote everything with him, and I'm super excited about it. It's like I think it might I think it might do really well. Awesome, man. Well, congratulations, and uh, please please give my best to the band. Say all right, awesome, and same to you guys. Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Chris to makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and your bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Exit. They just debuted at number 35 on iTunes' alternative album chart with Bored in America. They were Rock Sound Magazine's breakout artist this month and are currently featured on several Spotify editorial playlists. Here's a snippet of their song, You're On Your Way, Kid. Chris and Chris. So, man, small world, how crazy is it that we just recently did an after party episode about guilty pleasure songs where you brought up Sheriff uh, when I'm with you? And it wasn't a week later where we're doing the research for this simple plan mega hit and Arnold Lanny produced and co-wrote this song what are the chances of that that is insane yeah I mean just just the fact that you know Sheriff is a pretty unknown band and so is when I'm with you so uh and a, a song that I love that as you said we talked about on our after party and uh, here he produced the record I had no idea that he produced that album and when I saw the name I was like why do I know that name I knew I knew it and then I I I I Googled it and there it is. I'm like, ah, and it all makes sense. A, a fellow Canadian and uh, his fingerprints are all over this song. I can hear hints of when I'm with you in this song. That's pretty cool. I mean, he reigned in what you said. I wasn't familiar with Reset really, but you had told me that they were more of a punk rock band, more of an in-your-face punk rock band, and it sounds like Arnold really reined him into the pop world, which he is a master of. You have to be a master to be a, a guy in his mid-40s at that time, because uh, he's he's 65 now, a guy in his mid-40s who had a, a, a bunch of 19, 20-year-old kids who were just... You could imagine, they, you know, like, like he, he was talking about having water gun fights and he kicked him out of the house at some point. And, and to be able to rein in that energy and make it into something. Uh, and again, like I said, this uh, this record, this song, Perfect, uh, it, it still sounds current today. It doesn't sound like a dated production. It sounds big. Uh, the vocals are great and uh, it, it's well done. 
And you talked about the relatability of this song to young people, which, you know, that was exactly who was hearing this song at the time. This song was big on MTV's TRL, which was like a request show on MTV at the time. And obviously the subject matter. And Chris, I kind of figured just like you kind of figured that the inspiration for the song was a little heavier than what it actually was. But it sounds like something that anyone who plays in a band and decides to pursue that as their career, especially as a young person, as a teenager, you're going to experience that little bit of, oh man, what are you doing from your parents? And I, I, I can't say that I even blame parents for feeling that way, really. If you put yourself in their shoes, who wouldn't be like, Oh man, are you sure about that? That's a very small percentage of people can make it with that particular <laughs> career. Well, yeah, it's like telling your parents, you know, I'm quitting school and I'm getting into this moving target, which is this van with four wheels on it with a right. bunch of guys with weird colored hair and piercings and tattoos. We're going to drive around in the worst parts of the city and play music to people. Oh, right. okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you actually sympathize more for our parents now <laughs> than than you do for uh, us uh, guys and uh, girls in bands. But, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I, I also thought it was cool that what you and I thought the song was about, uh, you know, was more with, uh, you know, having a falling out possibly with a parent that they kind of melded it into that they expounded on the initial idea and as they went into the bridge they kind of pushed it a little further and even in the second verse that line did you know you used to be my hero which pierre even said he had to tell his dad no dad i love you you're still my hero you know like their parents heard this song was like they were kind of crushed like what you know yeah well this song kind of runs that gamut of relatability whether you're a person like you or i or pierre or chuck who are fortunate enough to have you know caring parents who we're supportive, maybe had their little bit of reservations about what we chose to do, but in general, we're loving and caring to the people that weren't as fortunate and didn't have that sort of situation. You could take something away from this song in one way or another, especially as a, a young person, you know? Yeah, and, and, and when talking to Pierre, and I wanted to tread lightly on this, I didn't bring it up in the episode, but most bands, if you strike gold with a producer such as Arnold Lanny, their first record sold millions of copies all over the place. They were all over TV, MTV, radio. You're going to use that producer again. And for all five of Simple Plan's records, they've used a different producer. A lot of times when you're chasing a producer, you're chasing a hit. You're chasing some kind of success. And they're one of the few bands that continue to work with different... I found that interesting, but I also found it uh, uh, refreshing that uh, yet another guest, Pierre, really credited Arnold with, with what he did for this record. He didn't... Uh, didn't take away, you know, he, he emphasized what he really did with, with the project and, and, and with molding the, the band's sound. I mean, the easy thing to do <laughs> would be go, to go right back to the same person yeah. who, who helped you craft those hits. But I do respect like wanting to expand your horizons, expand your sound, not get, you know, fall right back into the same sound maybe. And I don't know what the story was there, why they didn't go back to Arnold. I mean, I would assume that the story is, whoa, Bob Rock will do our album because <laughs> like you brought up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that has to be the story, right? <laughs> I would think, you know, you, you never know. I mean, it, it could have been, you know, th these guys were a, a little 
on the harder punk rock side, especially coming from from Reset. They he mentioned all the bands that he was into, and and uh, really this record's a pop record, especially this song, and that a lot of that has to do with Arnold, and maybe they wanted to go a little harder on the second record. But I I respect him for not playing it safe either. You know, the safe route would have been, hey, let's let's use the same guy, do the same thing, and a lot of times what happens there is just a carbon copy sonically of the first record, but the songs aren't as good. It's a tricky thing, man, as a band. And I think that all you can do is trust your own instincts and follow your own artistic path because it's kind of like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You have half the people that want you to make the same album over and over and over. And then you have the other half of the people that'll say, this sounds just like your last album, you know? So it's, you you just got to follow your heart, man. You got to do what makes you feel fulfilled and happy. That's what I think. Absolutely. And and one last thing I want to say, I meant what I said, you know, one of the nicest bands in in, in rock and roll, one of the nicest bands in music. They've always just been, been great. And you'll, you'll you'll find a lot of uh, bands are nice, but they're not great bands. And you'll find a lot of great bands that are amazing bands but they're not nice people and uh simple plan are right there they got they, they're a great band and, uh, and and great people and uh you know they, they deserve every bit of success that uh, they've had and speaking of success chris i want to thank all the listeners of krista makes a podcast who have made our supporting cast program a complete success yes thank you very much our supporting cast program is our vip program here at krista makes a podcast where you for a for a small uh, sm- you know couch change five bucks ten bucks a month you can uh, you can join and get bonus episodes and uh, discounts on merchandise and all kinds of other cool stuff Yep, we have those bonus episodes. Chris, I love every month I reach down to my couch cushions and I pull out a crisp $5 bill. It's awesome. <laughs> it's, one of my, it's one of my favorite moments of the month when I do that. And I use that to subscribe to our supporting cast program. Even though I could probably do it for free, I'm still I'm still subscribed. Last month I found a stale pack of gum and a cigarette and I don't even smoke, so I don't know. <laughs> you're, well. you're, faring, you're faring better than I am. I want to let everybody out there know that I'm still doing one-on-one live Zoom video consultations. If you'd uh, like to ever done a song have me produce a song for you or your band or answer any and all music business related questions uh, i'm here to help email me at kristamakes at gmail.com for more info and please give me a follow on instagram at less than chris d yes do those things and i think we forgot to mention that to join our supporting cast program you go to chrisdemakes.com i think we left that part out that's an important part if you got that chris five dollar bill in your couch cushions or maybe you have a 10 in there <laughs> either way our supporting cast program is cool and this was another great episode man absolutely I want to thank everybody who has joined and participates in the chris makes a podcast facebook group if you haven't already joined please do it's a lot of fun i want to thank this week's guest mr pierre bouvier from simple plan we'll see you next week Hey everyone, it's Chris Pandolfi inviting you to check out the new season of my podcast, Inside the Musician's Brain, with new episodes airing now. Hearing it in that room, these guys playing this thing and trying to figure out how to play this song was mind-blowing. It's so inspiring to know there's so much more to it than you ever thought, and it just opened another door. But when people find faith because they need to, in terms of just filling a void to feel better without actually being better, that's when it becomes... 
a crutch, much like you know, drugs and alcohol do. Man, I don't have all the time in the world here. If I want to be a professional bluegrass musician, I felt like I had to take a very like strategic approach, just trying to get rid of the barriers and, and figure out what those barriers were. The feelings still come and I have to reckon with that, but I think I have better ways of moving forward and not being stuck, which I think was the killer for me. Catch all that and so much more on the new season of Inside the Musician's Brain. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.